Welcome to the Queen City Church Podcast. We're so excited that you decided to join us, and we wanted to personally welcome you. Thank you so much for listening in today. Our goal is that this message will encourage you and give you practical steps for a relationship with God that keep getting better and better. Enjoy the message. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. And today, I'm going to talk about the number one thing that God has taught me in the process of starting this church. Now, if you don't know our story, hi, my name is Brian, and I am the lead pastor of Queen City Church. And I grew up in Middle Tennessee, and my wife grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. And after serving in 13 years in full-time ministry at amazing churches in Oklahoma, in Texas, and Alabama, we moved to Cincinnati, Ohio two years ago in January 2018, knowing one family with a dream in our heart to plant a life-giving church. And nine months later, we launched our church on September 16, 2018. Here's actually a picture from launch Sunday right there. It was right here in this. That, this crazy, this was 66 weeks ago. We're still undefeated, 65 and 0, gonna be 66 and 0 after today. And, uh, and it's been such an incredible ride. And I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot over this crazy, fun, terrifying adventure. But today, I want to talk about the biggest thing I've learned. And that is faith. The biggest thing that God's taught me over this whole journey has been about faith. In Hebrews 11, verse 1, it defines faith for it. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And today, we're gonna be looking at possibly for you a very familiar story in 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's the story of David and Goliath, but maybe we're gonna be looking at this story from a different perspective because I believe that this story is all about faith. And so let's dive in. We're going to start, and it's a, it's the whole chapter is it, but I'm going to try to tell the story as quickly as I can. We're going to start in verse 4. It says this in verse 4. It says, Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. And that brother was over nine feet tall. Tall dude. Verse 8, it says, Goliath stood And he shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul, who was the king at the time. Then he says this, and we'll come back to this at the very end. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. And the Bible says that this giant, He comes and he says that twice a day for 40 days. And then the story introduces a teenager by the name of David. He's the youngest of eight brothers who was too young to fight in the army. So he served his father as a shepherd. He took care of sheep. And one of his main responsibilities was to go back and forth to the battlefield on these supply runs to his brothers. And on one of those supply runs, he was there when Goliath came out and he gave his normal taunt. And listen to David's response in verse 26. David asked the soldier standing nearby, who 
is this guy anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And he just kept asking questions and asking questions until he found himself in front of the king where he said this to the king. He said, don't worry about this giant, this teenager. David told Saul, I'll go fight him. Then he picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into a shepherd's bag. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight Goliath. And when he was finally face to face with this giant, listen to what David said, but specifically, let's look for his faith. It says this in verse 45, David talking, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head. That escalated quickly. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will not, he might, he will give you to us. Then he drops a mic. And I love this next verse. I love this next verse. It says, as Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. It's one thing to talk to a giant like that when he's far away. But when the giant started coming, he ran towards him. And it said in verse 49, reaching into a shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with a sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the giant with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. I'm telling you, if that doesn't fire you up, your wood may be wet. <laughs> Come on, church, that's good. I feel, I feel like preaching today. I really do. Okay? I just do, I just feel it. I feel the preach in me, okay? So today, if you're taking notes, and I really hope you are, I really hope you are. Write down this, because over the next few minutes, I want to talk to you about faith to face a giant. Faith to face a giant. Let's pray, and then we'll dive in. God, we invite you. Speak to us. We don't want to go through the motions. God, we open up our entire lives to you. And we hope, God, that we... In fact, we believe that we will hear from you and walk out of here different. We raise our expectation right now. God, will you help us, teach us how to have faith to face a giant. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said, amen. Just by a show of hands, how many of you, you can't stand when you're told you can't do something? How many of you? Like you cannot stand it when somebody says that you can't do something. Here's what I know, for generations, young men specifically, have been going to emergency room and jail for that very reason. <laughs> it's true, it's true. I can't stand it. I, I'm telling you, nothing 
fires me up more when somebody says I can't do something. In fact, it's one of the greatest ways to get me to do something. It's like reverse psychology is to tell me that I can't do it. And it reminds me of a story that I heard recently of a sweet older married couple. Their names were Walter and Ethel and they went on a vacation. And while they went on this vacation, they saved up a lot of money and they were, uh, they, they were, they were older and they, they walked by and they found, they stumbled across these helicopter rides for $50. And when Walter saw it, something kind of rose up inside of him and it's like, I have got to ride on this helicopter. I've got to do it. But see, Ethel was the one that took care of the finances and Ethel, she really, she really like made sure they saved for years to make sure that they could go on this vacation and every single penny was allocated and budget towards something. And she said, I'm so sorry, Walter. We're not going to be able to go on that helicopter ride. It's just too expensive. $50 is $50. But Walter was not going to go down without a fight because he was like, I've got, listen, I may not have any other opportunity to do this. Let's just be honest. Can I please ride on that helicopter? I mean, he, he tried as hard as he could, but she held the line. I'm so sorry, baby. I understand that you really want to do this, but we can't do it. $50 is $50. Now the helicopter pilot was overhearing this conversation and he had this idea and he approached them and said, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to overhear your conversation, but I wanna propose this idea to you. How about if I don't charge you a dime? You can go up for totally free on this helicopter ride, but the only deal is that you can't make any noises. You can't say one word, you, you have to be completely quiet. And if you say one word, you have to pay the full price. But I don't think you can do it. Well, that got Ethel motivated. And so she said, absolutely, we can do that. So they get in the helicopter, they go out, and he does every trick and maneuver that he could possibly imagine, did his very best. But to his surprise, they made no sound, nothing. Not one word. They finally land, and he looks back at Walter and says, Walter, man, I got to give it to you. I didn't think that there was any way that you would be able to stay quiet on that entire trip. I tried everything. And he said, well, I almost said something when Ethel fell out. But $50 is $50. (laughs) And in 1 Samuel chapter 17, hard turn, David, David, he experienced people telling him what he couldn't do. You can't face Goliath, he's too big, you're too small, it's impossible. But David, if you read this text, he had the faith to face a giant. And here's the truth, there's gonna be times in your life where you're going to need that type of faith. Where you're standing in front of something that's so much bigger than you, when you're standing in front of something that seems impossible on that day, You're going to need faith to face a giant. So the question is, what I ask every time I'm in church, how? How? 
How do I have that type of faith? How do I have the type of faith to stand face to face with any giant, any problem, any crisis, any challenge, any calling that may come my way? Let me give you three things directly from 1 Samuel chapter 17, because that's what we do. We take three pointers. Okay, here's number one. Write this down. Embrace a holy discontent. First thing you have to do is you have to embrace a holy discontent. And here's my simple definition of a holy discontent. It's a divine burden given to you by God. It's a divine burden that is given to you by God. In other words, it's something that fires you up. It's something that you can't shake, even if you wanted to. It's something that makes you say, I just can't sit by anymore and let this happen. Somebody has got to do something about this. It's, for maybe some of the older people in the room, it's your Popeye moment. Come on, the old school cartoon character. Where every single episode, the same story happens every time. Something happens, his, some drama happens with this girl. And he always gets to this point where he says, I've had all I could stands and I can't stands no more. And he eats some spinach, gets swole, and then saves the day. Every time. It's your Popeye moment where you just say, I, I've had all I can stands and I can't stands no more. And for David, in our story, it was this giant that over and over again defied and he taunted the people of God. And listen, listen, here, here was his holy discontent in verse 26, where he said, who is this guy anyway? That he's allowed. I can't believe that somebody's letting him do this. Why is he allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And David said, this isn't right. If nobody is gonna do something about this, I will. So what about you? What's your holy discontent? Because I promise you, you have one. What's your divine burden? What fires you up? What, what can't you seem to shake? And here's why it is so critical and so important for each and every one of us to recognize what is our divine burden? Because your divine burden often reveals your divine direction. In other words, that that thing that fires you up, your holy discontent, your, your divine burden is like this neon sign from God pointing that this is what you should do. Here's how you should spend your time. Here's the area that you should serve. Here's where you should invest. It's like this neon flashing line. And so maybe for some of you, it's that you have a burden for single moms, Maybe you have a burden for kids or for students. Maybe you have a burden for the homeless population. Maybe you're passionate about things like racial reconciliation or people having healthy marriages or helping people get out of debt. Maybe you've overcome addiction and you know what it's like to be so bound by addiction, but by the grace of God, you were able to step out and receive freedom. And now it's like all you can think about is helping people experience the same exact freedom that you already experienced. Maybe for some of you, you were like so passionate about the marketplace or maybe about the creative space in our city and you wanna see the principles of God's word and of character and integrity influence those spaces. See, for me, my holy discontent started over five years ago when God started speaking to me about planting this church 
It was over five years ago. And it was something I couldn't shake. Believe me, I tried. In fact, like Heather, Heather can't stand this. Like she, my wife, Heather, she cannot stand this. She's on the front row right there. She's looking fine. But, um, <laughs> but she can't stand this. I'm kind of, I'm kind of fired up today. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but she, like the best way I can describe it, she doesn't like it, is that I feel like I got pregnant. That's the best way I can describe it. Because uh, I could not wish it away. I could not ignore it. And it just kept getting bigger over time. And the more we prayed, the more we processed with God, the more God just gave us a supernatural love for this city. In fact, when two years ago, when we moved here and I took my stuff off a U-Haul truck, I might as well be looking for my burial plot because I'm gonna love and serve this city till the day I die. I mean, God, this supernatural love is the best way I can describe it. And it's a beautiful city. I love our city so much. And, um, you know, it's filled with amazing people and art and culture and some good food. Come on, can I get a good amen from the church today? And chili. And ice cream. Oh, my goodness. With the most majestic chocolate chips in them that somehow don't get real hard. It's amazing. It's a beautiful city. We live in a beautiful city, but it's also a broken city. And if you study it, you'll see brokenness in the city and some things that can possibly break your heart. Like, for example, one out of three people live in poverty in our city. And if you study even the demographics, even more than that, 45% of kids live in poverty. We have a crime rate three times that, the national average, and there's a massive heroin addiction epidemic that has affected probably almost every single person in this room. And on top of that, it's the fifth most segregated city in the United States. And if you study, that's just social stats, but if you study the spiritual stats, you'll see that 34% of the population are unchurched. And if you deep dive into demographics, you'll see that 52% of people under the age of 40 are unchurched. And when we learned all this stuff, you need to understand it broke our hearts, but it also stiffened our spine to do something about it. There was something inside that just said, we have to do something about this, that we believe God is calling us to make a difference in this city, to love and serve this city in such a way that every single person in it demands an explanation. And we've embraced this holy discontent that we can't do everything, but I promise you we can do something. Because we believe with all our heart that the local church is the hope of the world. Let me be more specific. That the local church is the hope of Cincinnati, Ohio. That the gospel and life-giving local churches can flip every single one of those numbers upside down. I believe it with all my heart. So if you want to have the faith to face that type of giant, it starts with embracing a holy discontent. And then number two, write this down. You have to take the first step. The very first thing you gotta do after you embrace a holy discontent, you just gotta take the first step. Listen to David's first step in verse 32 of 1 Samuel 17. He says, don't worry about this giant. David told him, I'll go fight him. See, David's first step 
was simply just having the courage to raise his hand and say yes. He didn't have it all figured out. He didn't know all the details. He didn't know how everything was going to play out. But such a small step led to such a big result. And when I read that story, I think of this verse in Zechariah chapter four, verse 10, where it says, do not despise these small beginnings. And let me take a little bit of exegetical liberty and say, do not despise these first steps. These first steps. For the Lord, he rejoices. He loves to see the work begin. Now, have you ever seen a parent when their baby takes their first step or a grandparent when their grandbaby takes their first step. It doesn't matter like, like who you are. It doesn't matter your personality. Like you could be the most put together, boring, dignified person in the whole wide world. But when your baby or your grandbaby takes their first step, you lose your mind. <laughs> Literally. Like you lose your mind and you gather everybody around and if nobody's there to see it, you push them down so that you can grab your phone and record it. <laughs> and we post it on social media and we want everybody to come see, look, look, my son, my daughter is doing something that they will do literally millions of times the rest of their life. <laughs> Have you ever thought about why? Like, why do we do that? What's on the inside of us that makes us react that way? I think it's because parents love when their kids take first steps. Listen, God loves when his kids take first steps. I want you to imagine God's view from heaven whenever he's spoken something directly to your heart that was meant only for you. And then you actually take a step towards it. Imagine his view from heaven that he gathers everybody around and said, look, 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 they're doing it. I spoke that to him years ago and they're finally taking that step. They're finally taking their first step and he goes crazy and he wants everybody to see, listen, everything big starts with a first step. But for so many people, it's the start that will stop them. The truth is you will never finish anything that you don't start. I understand. Like I get it. And so maybe today, maybe as we approach a new year, a new decade, maybe God is calling you to start a new job. Maybe he's calling you to start a new business, to start school, to start getting physically healthy, exercising, maybe eating right. Maybe it's to start counseling, to start rehab to get out of debt. Maybe it's to go to the next level here at this church. Maybe it's to get planted, to make this your church home, to complete that whole growth track thing, to be in a small group. Maybe it's to lead a small group. Maybe it's to start tithing or start serving, whatever it is, whatever it is, you don't have to have the faith to finish. You just have to have the faith to start. You just have to have the faith to take the first step. And let me give you just this warning. Let me tell you as somebody who loves you enough to tell you the truth, that there's a warning to this whole first step thing. Because when you step out in faith, you have to step over fear. 
that whenever you end up taking a step, whenever God calls you to do something and you know that it's going to require this big step of faith, that what you actually end up whenever you take that step, what you step over is you step over fear. And maybe it's the fear of failure. Maybe it's the fear of the unknown. Maybe it's the fear of change. Oh my goodness, change. Maybe it's the fear of not making everybody happy. But when you step out in faith, you're going to have to step over fear. It was terrifying to step out in faith to plant this church. There was times throughout that five-year process where I felt paralyzed by fear. And truthfully, it would have been so much easier to do something else. In the church planning world, this is called parachuting. It's where I'm not from here. My wife's not from here. We don't know anybody here. The truth is, it would have been easier to do something else. But God did not call me to do something easy. He called me to be obedient. And one of the biggest things that I've learned throughout this whole process, and I wanted you to see this on the screen, because it's one of the biggest things I've learned is this. Success is obedience, period. Period, not results. In other words, it's all our responsibility to be as close as we can to God relationally so that we can hear his voice and just simply do what's right and do what he tells us to do. And if we do that, then we are successful. And I'll let God handle all the results. Listen to what it says in Joshua chapter one, verse seven. It's one of my favorite verses. It says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey, to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. In other words, God's word. It's God's word. So it could be his written word, and I believe it also could be his, his verbal spoken word. So be careful to obey all of God's word. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Just stay right on what God tells you, and then you will be successful in everything that you do. Success is obedience. So if you want to have the faith to face a giant, it starts with embracing a holy discontent. And then you have to take the first step. And finally, number three, just keep taking steps. That once you take your first one, then take the second. And after you've taken your second, then take your third. And then the fourth, and then the fifth. Just keep taking steps. See, David, in our story, he took his first step. He just said yes. And then listen to the next steps that he took in verse 40. It says, he picked up five smooth stones. That's a step from a stream and put them into a shepherd's bag. Another step. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he picked those up. Steps. He started across the valley to fight the Philistine. And David just kept taking step after step after step until he found himself face to face with the giant and the rest is history. And so maybe you're here today at church and you're like, yeah, Brian, I've already taken a step. Maybe you're here and it's, and it's like, I have taken a step of faith and I'm not where I want to be. And I'm not where, honestly, I think I should be. What do I do? Listen, I cannot encourage you enough. Just keep taking the next step. I felt like God put this on my heart for you, if that's you. Galatians chapter six, verse nine. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. Let's not get tired of taking the next step. 
at just the right time. We will. Now, we might. We will reap a harvest of blessing. And I think here's the key. If we don't give up, you may not be where you want to be. Just keep taking steps. You may not have everything figured out right now. Just keep taking steps. You may not know how everything is going to play out. Just keep taking steps. You may not know every single detail. Just keep taking steps. Don't give up. Don't quit. Just keep taking steps. Now, Heather and I, we have two sons. Um, I like to call them two little consequences of passion. Um, We have two sons. We have... Some of you are like, just getting it, like <laughs> 9.30, I get it, <laughs> it's early. Um, uh, so we have Jordan, uh, who's eight years old, and then we have Caleb, uh, who's five years old. And um, when our oldest son, Jordan, was two years old, so this is about six years ago, um, he, he started developing some developmental delays. And up until that point, he was hitting every single marker um, but really out of nowhere, he started developing these developmental delays. And um, here's actually a picture from that time. Uh, it's one of my favorite pictures in all the world um, because um, how many of you know that a lot of times we post things on social media and, and it paints a picture of what maybe isn't really going on behind the scenes. And this time of our life, a picture that got so many likes and comments and all these things, or really our, our life behind the scenes was a dumpster fire. It was really hard, it was the hardest time of our life, right there, right here. And what makes this picture so significant to me is I saw in that little boy's eyes and it gave me hope. It gave me so much hope. And, um, you know, it was around when he was two years old and we thought that maybe it was just a phase, that it was, you know, like the terrible twos, that he'd grow out of this, but he never did, in fact, the exact opposite happened. He just kept getting worse. And so that led Heather and I to um, do a lot of testing and just asking a lot of questions. And um, after a lot of testing, we were sitting across from a doctor in his office and he gave us a unexpected diagnosis that our oldest son was on the autism spectrum. And uh, with one diagnosis, we found ourselves face to face with a giant. Literally woke up that day, no giant. One conversation with the doctor, face to face with a a giant. And um, we were immediately hit with like paralyzing fear. And so much insecurity. Like, could we be the parents that that little boy needed? And there was times where um, we were just face to face with this new reality of what does our life look like with a special needs son. And while there was so much fear that we felt at that time, God right there, I believe supernaturally, gave us faith right there in that moment. We embraced it and then we asked God for faith. And He gave us the faith to embrace a holy discontent that we were going to fight for our little boy, that we were gonna do whatever we could do 
no matter the cost, no matter what it took, that we would do whatever it took to make sure that he could have the best possible life that he could ever have. In fact, our faith level was so high that we stopped saying he had autism. We started saying that he's healing from autism. And our, and we, God just gave us that holy discontent. But the truth is we didn't know where to start. It seems so overwhelming. Like, what do we do? Where do we go? Who do we meet with? What therapies do we do? And it just, it felt like, it just felt like there was so much to do, but God gave us just enough faith to step over a little bit of fear and just take the first step. And then after we took that step, then we just took the next one. And then we took the next one and then the next one and then the next one. And I could not be more proud to say that over the last six years, after taking many, many, many hard steps, God has done nothing short of a miracle in our little boy, that he has taken so many steps towards health and healing. In fact, right now he is crushing second grade and is fully transitioned to general education. No special needs. Throw that picture up there from Ted. Oh, come on, that's first day of school picture right there. Come on, listen, my, my God is bigger than my giant. This is my God is bigger than my giant. And I believe, I have faith that the best is yet to come for my little boy. And we're by no means done. By no means, we, we face challenges this week. But we believe that the best is yet to come for our little boy. And we're just gonna keep taking steps. And I'm here to tell you today, church, I'm here to tell you that when you step out in faith, God will show up in power. Believe it. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. And just right here, right now, we do this every week, but let's not let the routine of it minimize the moment. Ask God right now, pray and say, God, what are you saying to me? What are you speaking to me right now? What does my response need to be? Maybe ask him this, what step of faith do I need to take today? And for some of you, you need to take a step of faith to get right with God. And you see, while this story is about David, this story also points to Jesus. That just like at the very beginning when Goliath, the enemy, he says, choose a man that will come down and fight me. If I win, I get them all. But if he wins, he gets them all. I imagine that God and Satan had a conversation over 2000 years ago that went something like this, where Satan said, choose a man that will come down and fight me. If I win, I get them all. But if he wins, he gets them all. And God said, okay, I choose my son. I choose Jesus. And so God loved you and he loved me so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to this earth to die on a cross, to pay for our sins, something that you and I could never do for ourselves. But the story, thank God, doesn't end there. That he was buried in a tomb and then raised three days later, defeating death, hell, and the grave just for the chance to have a relationship with you. But you have to take a step. You have to take a step. So maybe you're here today and you feel so far from God and you need a fresh start. You need to take a step towards God. And the theological term for that is repentance. 
and it's often received as very negative, but it's not, it's beautiful. It's one of the greatest words in the English language because it literally means that you step away from your old life and you step towards a new life with God. It's the most important decision of your life and we wanna give you the opportunity right now to make that decision. We're not gonna point you out. We're not gonna make you come forward, embarrass you in any way. I just wanna lead you in a simple prayer. And if you wanna be included in that prayer, you know that today, that's the step that you need to take. You need to take a step towards God. Maybe it's for the first time, or maybe you've gone off and you've done your own thing and you need to take a step back to God. If that's you and you know that's what God is calling you to do, to take a step of faith, I want you to, without hesitation, on the count of three, to raise your hand and we're gonna pray together. One, two, three, just raise your hand. That's you, that's you, got you, got you. That's awesome, I got you, I got you. Anybody else? Yeah, I got you right there, that's awesome. Anybody else? That's great, I need to take a step of faith today. That's great, you can put your hands down and just pray something like this in your heart. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I love you and I'm sorry that I've lived my life without you, I repent. I take a step away from my old life and I step towards you. Will you come live inside me, change me and make me brand new? I surrender my whole life to you, everything. And today I choose to follow you. We thank you so much for Jesus who loves us, who saved us, who did what we could never do for ourselves. And so God, we right now take a step towards you and receive all that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said, amen. Come on church, can we clap our hands for those who just made that decision? That's great, that's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has changed your perspective on God or life, feel free to email your story to info at queencitypeople.com. We'd love to celebrate the change happening in your life. We'd also love to pray for you. If you have any prayer requests, big or small, head over to queencitypeople.com slash prayer and fill out the form with as much detail as you'd like. For more information about Queen City Church's service times, location, or events, visit queencitypeople.com or follow us on social media platforms at queencitypeople. 